got a Bible with you, I'd love you just to flick over to Ephesians chapter 4, and if you want to put your finger into 2 Peter chapter 3 as well, that's great. Uh, otherwise, don't worry, all the verses um, which I've given to the guys at the back will appear on the screen. Any others that just come into my head, um, well, you just have to trust me or find there really quickly in the Bible. The, we are today in our third part of this series of good news, and um, Given this title today, Growing in the Gospel, our youngest son turns five tomorrow, which just seems crazy that the youngest one is five. And we've done that kind of cliched, classic parent thing, looking at photos of them when when they were younger than where they were, and the oldest will be 10 next year, and you think, oh my goodness, I remember life before children. Um, But I also remember when they were so small, like how they grow up so ridiculously fast. And it's a cliche, but it's true. And if, if you're a parent, you know that. If you are a child, you also know that. Because there was once upon a time, you were a lot smaller than you are now. You were a child, and then you grew up, and you are what you are now. And you will continue to grow. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that, hey, this is what they are supposed to do. <laughs> Something's going wrong with the kids if, if they're not getting bigger and getting more mature. Something's going wrong with you if you're not growing. Now, obviously, there gets to a point physically where we want to stop growing or else there are other issues. But as a, as a kind of rule, it is a universal rule that you mature, that you grow. Something is wrong, physically speaking, if you don't. It's exactly the same spiritually. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 tells us that Jesus gives these gifts to the church for the purpose, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. We grow up. No longer children tossed to and fro. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So we're to grow individually in order that we also corporately might grow. Flick over to 2 Peter 3 verse 18. This is a command that Peter gives us. But grow, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So here's the the kind of the Christian life summed up. We're supposed to grow. In exactly the same way that, that children physically are supposed to grow, they mature and grow up, there's an expectation that Christians mature and grow up. The aim of the Christian life is, is not sitting in church clutching our born-again certificates. Oh, I've got it. I'm here. I'm in. Yay. Now, the, the aim of the Christian life is not to sit there clutching our little certificate. If you haven't got one, where have you put it? Like you, <laughs> no. It's not clutching a certificate and, and doing our best to manage our sins. That's not abundant living. 
Jesus didn't step out of heaven. Jesus didn't humble himself to the point of death on a cross so that we could enter a sin, behavior, sin management program. Jesus didn't step down out of heaven so that we might kind of enter into some behavior modification program to improve ourselves. He didn't endure the agony of the cross. He didn't uh, endure the despair of separation from the Father so that we can say a prayer and then do our best to stay out of trouble until our time has come and then maybe we might get to enjoy heaven someday. No, no, no. What does it mean to be saved? I wonder how you'd answer that. What, what does it mean to be saved? Now, there's lots of places we could go, right? But if you just had to sum it in one sentence, what does it mean to be saved? I think it means eternal living. Here, now, and forevermore. There's lots of other things it means. We have addressed and we will address more of those. But what does it mean to be saved? It means eternal living right here, right now. Yes, we're going to spend eternity in the presence of God. But eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you put your trust in Jesus. The seed of eternity is placed into your heart. What does it mean to be saved? It means eternal living right here, right now. The only description of eternal life in the whole of the New Testament is found in John 17. Jesus, in verse 33 of John 17, says, and this is eternal life. Eternal life's mentioned in other places, but a description of it, this is eternal life, that they know you, he's speaking to the Father, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's a description right there of what eternal life is, that we know God. And we're commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, know, in a biblical sense, doesn't mean to know about someone or know about something. You know that in a kind of adult sense of the word, when some, a biblical character knows another biblical character, it doesn't mean they know who they are. Right? We, we understand that, right? There's something way more intimate going on there. So the command to grow in knowledge, biblically speaking, is not just know stuff about, not just know more facts about, not just be able to tell more and more stories or information about, no, no, no. The command to know, biblically speaking, always speaks of an intimate, interactive relationship. See, the gospel is the good news that Christianity is not just truths about God that we should believe. It's not just a, a lifestyle that we should adopt. It's not just about kind of what you do or don't do, as important as those things are, fundamentally, Christianity is about entering a life-transforming relationship with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are commanded to grow in that. So maturity and growth is both commanded and expected of Christians. But what we're commanded to grow in is the gospel. And as we looked at a few weeks ago, the gospel is good news. It truly is good news. And in order to truly understand how and why it's good news, we need to understand that maturity and joy are linked. Maturity and joy are linked. We kind of somehow think of uh, the, the command to mature and grow up as something really boring and something dull. You know that whole thing someone says to you at some point as when you're a kid, you're not a kid anymore, stop behaving like it. We kind of think that growth and maturity is, oh my gosh, like life is fun when you're a kid. You see it at the end of church, right? All the kids, what are they doing? Running around having fun. What are the adults doing? Lord, help me for tomorrow. Like there's, there's nothing wrong in that, but there's that sense of as you grow up, 
as we kind of take on more responsibility, as we mature, as life throws stuff at us, it's like joy diminishes and goes out of the window. Joy as a kid is like, yeah, everything's awesome. And then exams and he's like, but we kind of have this thing that maturity and growing equals dull. But no, 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 that is not God's design. Our joy is supposed to grow, not diminish. See, we have an enemy. What's his chief, one of his chief jobs, his chief roles, the chief things he does? Satan loves to rob us of joy. It's exactly what he did in the garden. He, he tells us that the, the, the kind of sin is the way to joy and happiness. Not God. God's trying to rob you of stuff. He, doesn't, he wants to keep you down there. Do this. Follow these things and you will really know joy. He wants us to believe that God is holding out on us somehow. That follow God and do that, then life's going to be, whoa. No, no, no. God is not holding out on us. God's will is every one of his, experience, his children experience increasing levels and fullness of his joy. Romans 14 verse 17. Right? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of the things of the world. It's not that you can't do those and can't enjoy those. But it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We so often kind of have this, well, it's, we know it's not eating, drinking, having fun, but it is of righteousness. Oh, not have fun. No. Righteousness and joy, they are linked. It's of joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, whether you're serious about growth, like maturing, growth as a Christian, it kind of depends on whether you really believe that the joy of the Lord is both a gift and a goal. Like how serious you are about growing kind of depends what it is you think you're growing into. And if you understand that what you're trying to, what the aim is, is that you're growing and maturing into is more and more and more joy, then you're going to pay way more attention to your growth. If you think that maturity and growth is what we're growing into is more and more seriousness, then you're probably not. You're probably going to resist it. Paul, why did the apostle Paul trek around the Mediterranean, endure hard hardships, persecution, prison, shipwrecks. Why did he do all of that? What was the goal of his ministry? Well, he tells the church in, at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1.24, he says, we work with you for your joy. I'm doing, doing all of this for your joy. He says exactly the same thing at Philippi. He says, I will continue, Philippians 1 verse 25, I will continue with you for your progress, for your growth, for your maturity and joy. In the faith. Wow. More maturity equals more joy. That's the goal. More maturity equals more joy. And we begin our search for growth and therefore joy, not with stuff, but with God. That's where we need to start. Got an understanding of who the fullness of this Trinity is. An understanding of the fact that the Father rejoices in the beauty of the Son and the Spirit. And that the Son revels in the beauty of the Spirit and the Father. And the Spirit delights in that of the Father and the Son. That this fullness of joy and divine delight in and of himself, God, this three-in-one God that is delighting eternally, always, all the time, in the joy of Father, Son, and Spirit, that the fullness of this joy and delight now overflows out of God and into creation so that we, as part of creation, get to joyfully share in it too. Simply put, this, this is a kind of measure of the level to which you understand maturity and the command to grow. Simply put, God created us 
so that the joy he has in himself might be ours also. Wow. We get to join the party of the eternal joy of the Trinity. Have you ever thought about that? We get to join the, there's this eternal party going on of absolute joy and love and infinite beauty and delight and we are invited into that. This is the eternal living into which we've been saved. We get to relish and enjoy the beauty of God. Yes, for all time, but also right here, right now. So maturity and growth or or joy are found by growing in our and experiencing more and more our understanding of that. This command to grow is not burdensome, it's not heavy. Peter's command here was to a bunch of persecuted Christians who were under loads and loads of pressure. He doesn't finish off his letter to them going, and another thing, grow up. He says, no, 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 in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the difficult, in the midst of the hardship, grow. In what? The ever-increasing joy of knowing Jesus. He's like, lift your heads, guys. Look what's on offer. Because they are suffering left, right, and center. And he says, no, there's more for you. There's more for you. Lift your eyes. That's the command. To grow in the ever-increasing, ever-expanding joy of knowing Jesus better every day of our lives. Here's the thing. We minimize our joy and limit our growth if we confuse secondary blessings with the primary blessing. Now, we often look... If we're really honest, we often look, came out, actually came out in our worship, we often look for secondary things as the, source, source, as the source of our joy. It's not that these things are bad things. The circumstances of life, the, the, stuff that, the good stuff of the world that the life has to offer, it's not that they're bad things and they often do bring us joy. But our joy gets bigger and more complete and grows when we recognize that secondary blessings are just that, secondary We've got something bigger on offer, something greater available for us. I just want to take you back into the Old Testament, a bit of a hero of the Old Testament, a guy called Moses, who many of you would have heard of and read some of his story. And there's an incredible moment. I mean, it is mind-blowing moment in his story. God has just rescued his people, the people of God, from slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus 32, you can read about it in the first six verses, they're now in the wilderness where God's rescued them, and they're out in the wilderness now, And they kind of turn from God and they make a calf out of gold and they begin to worship it instead of God. And you kind of think, what are you doing? But that's what they do. That's what we all do. We turn so quickly to other things. And even despite the fact of their sin and everything else that they do, mess it all up, God reiterates his promise to give them the land of Canaan. That's the promise. You're going to get to the promised land. Even though they don't do what God says, he says, I'm still for you. We're still going to get there. And in verse 3 of Exodus 33, he says, you can have it. You're going to get there. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Just pause for a moment and think about what's being offered here. The people have the blessings of God. The secondary blessing. They, they have the blessings of God. They get to go to, the Can- to Canaan. They're gonna be, they've been promised. You're going to get there. And they have it without the demands of his holy presence they can get what they are wanting entrance to the promised land and they don't need to act in the way God demands of them anymore because he's not going to be with them 
It's like being offered a free ticket to heaven without the need to be holy here and now. It's like being offered a a free ticket to heaven. You can get there and you don't need to do any of this Christian stuff on earth. Would you take the offer? It's a bit like you can get out of this trial or this difficulty or this circumstance. I will end it right now. I'll give you that blessing, but the payoff is you're not going to get me. You can end all of this and you'll get that, but I'm not coming with you because you're a stiff-necked person. Would you take it? And this is what Moses says in response, which is stunning. Verse 15 of Exodus 33, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? This is an amazing response. Just think about it. In some ways, Moses is being offered the goal of his life's work to get to the promised land. That's what he's given himself to for years and years and years that he might get to the goal, the promised land. He, that's on offer. And he can have it without any obligations to live the way God demands. But knowing God and being his people matters more to Moses. God offers Moses everything without God, but Moses doesn't want anything without God. He wants God. See, the blessings of the promised land are secondary to the blessing, which is God himself. And when it comes to understanding the gospel, we can so often sometimes confuse secondary blessings with the primary and true blessings of God himself. You see, the primary blessing of salvation is that we get God What's it mean to be saved? We might enter into eternal living. We get God. Yes, the gospel means that our sins are forgiven. But I want, and I want to be very careful how I say this, but there's a sense in which sin forgiven is, in one sense, a secondary blessing. It's not that it's unimportant, far from it. It's our sin that separates us from God, so it needs to be dealt with, but it needs to be dealt with because there is a bigger purpose in mind that we get to be with God. The purpose of salvation, of removing our sin, is not just so we're sin-free. It's so that we get God. We get the bigger thing. We get the primary thing. You see, we are not only saved from sin. We are saved for God to live in an eternal relationship with him. To have what Christians of old used to call and used to describe as communion with God. We tend to think of communion as Bread and wine, and of course it is, but Christians of old would describe this as a, we have a communion, a relationship now, intimate knowledge of with God, and it's communion with God, God himself, not the things he does for us, it's God himself, and in God himself that we know true joy. So how do we grow in that? How do we grow in the grace and knowledge of God? How do we improve our communion with God? And there's a big temptation here because by default, most of us in this room are Marthas, (laughs) want to run around and do stuff. Tell me what I can do. Give me five steps to improve my communion with God and then I can go from here and try and do them and forget them by Wednesday. Like most of us by default want to fixate on what we do. So there's a temptation to get there and go, read your Bible, do this, do this, do this, do this. None of which is unimportant. But really we need to start first and foremost with Jesus himself. See, the foundation of our communion with God is our union with Christ. 
Say that again. The foundation of our communion, the foundation of our ability to have a relationship with God is our union with Christ. See, the second you became a Christian, you are united with Jesus. And this is what enables you now to know God. From start to finish, every aspect of your union, my union, this incredible union, is God's gracious work to us. It's all about Jesus. See, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, if you know anything about the church in Corinth, it was in an absolute mess. There was loads of issues to address. Immorality, or kind of all sorts of sinful, frankly, behavior, sexual activity, also just mess after mess after mess. And Paul writes this letter to Corinth to address these issues and he begins not by addressing any of these things but by reminding his readers of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He says in verse four of 1 Corinthians one, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God. See, most of us get this backwards. We focus, we begin by focusing on what we should or shouldn't do. Facing something in your life right now, this is what you should do. Got a sin issue in your life right now, this is what you need to stop doing. We so often focus on what we need to do, and then what we might do, because we remember, hang on, it's the gospel, is we latch a little bit of gospel encouragement at the end. And you can do it because Jesus loves you. It's grace, hey. No, 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 no. Not Paul. Past, present, and future, he says, it's all Jesus. Because of the grace God of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Past. It's past. It was given to you in the past. Grace has been given to us. Eternal life is now ours. Not because of Jesus. Not, uh, sorry, not because of our works, but all because of Jesus. There really is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guilt is gone. Shame is removed. Freedom is ours because of what Jesus has done. I am now chosen. I am now called by God. I'm a new creation. I'm being changed into his image. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm blessed. I'm set free. I'm victorious, I'm strong in the Lord, I'm a joint heir with Christ, I'm complete in him. All of that stuff has been done. This is the grace of God in the past. But look at verse five. But that in every way you're enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking now, in the present. So you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has done everything for us and he has also given everything for us in order to live now in a way that's honoring him. Earlier on in 2 Peter, in chapter one, he says, Peter says, his divine, God's divine power has granted for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us everything we need right now. We don't need a higher IQ to grow in God. We don't need a better house to grow in God. We don't need to have better looks to grow in God. We don't need more friends to grow in God. We don't need to know more information to grow in God. We, we don't need to have greater popularity in order to really thrive and know joy. He has given us everything we need to grow in maturity and joy. If you get a bunch of secondary blessings, thank you, Jesus. If you don't, you've got everything that you need to grow right now in maturity and joy. But God is also faithful for the future. Look at verse eight, who will sustain you to the end. What he began in us, he will complete in us. What he began, he will see to the end. What he began, he will perfect. He will see us through. Past, present, and future, it's all about Jesus. 
And then look at verse nine. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are called into fellowship with God. Into f- <laughs> we are called into fellowship with God as a result of the work of Jesus. The security of that, the security of our union is the foundation that I don't move on from, but I grow deeper into, grow a deeper appreciation of, a deeper wonder of, a deeper joy of the fact that my union with Jesus Christ cannot be taken from me, cannot be shaken, cannot be removed. And is the way to know communion with the Father and the Spirit. Wow. I need to consciously and purposely meditate on the gospel every single day. God accepts me because of Jesus. God loves me because of Jesus. God forgives me because of Jesus. This impacts everything. How does God feel about me when I sin? You ever thought about that? Because I've been forgiven, right? My past is done, but I, I still muck up. I still sin. How does God feel about me when I sin? How you answer that question determines how much joy you can have in this life. Honestly believe that. How does God feel toward me when I sin? The stunning truth is, the scandalous, outrageous truth of the gospel is that when I sin, Jesus feel, God feels exactly the same way as he feels towards Jesus when he does not. Because my life is hidden in Christ. <laughs> The depth to which you can grasp that truth is the, reality, is, the, is the depth to which you're going to be able to grow in the joy of the Lord. How does God feel towards me when I sin exactly the same way he felt towards Jesus when he did not? Changes. That's a game changer. Does that mean I don't need to repent anymore? Of course not. The reason Christians need to practice repentance is because God sees my sin and he grieves my sin. Partly because in those moments I'm not receiving fullness, the fullness of his love for me. I'm not enjoying the relationship because my sin causes some issues. And that's why I need to be quick to repent and quick to confess, and quick to put my trust, and quick to believe by faith. No, 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 and my life is hidden in Christ. This is not who I am now. I'm now a son, and so I'm gonna act in accordance with it, and I'm gonna get back to enjoying this communion, because this union with Jesus cannot be broken. It's a bit like this. You imagine for a moment a father has two sons. One of the sons loves hanging around with the father, has conversations with him, enjoys doing the stuff that he does with him, and the other one is embarrassed. By, the, by his dad. Doesn't want to hang out with him, doesn't want to talk to him. Every time he talks to him, he's like, get away from me. Which of those two are sons? Both of them. Which one enjoys being a son? The one who hangs around with the father. You can't undo your sonship. You can't undo it. You can't undo your daughtership. You can't undo the fact that you're an heir. What you can do is improve your enjoyment of it. So does what we do matter? Of course it does. Absolutely it does. But it only matters in the sense that our actions make a difference to our enjoyment of God. 
You know that thing that some Christians say sometimes, if you never read your Bible ever again, God will love you just the same. Yes, but no. It's like really shallow and really immature. It's like if I say to my kids, if you never do anything ever again that's remotely enjoyable and nice and pleasing to me, I will love you and everything's the same. Yes, I will love you, but it's not going to be the same. Because you're not enjoying this relationship and I'm... What we do makes a real difference in our experience of the relationship. Our union with Christ cannot be improved. You can't get that better. You know that. Your relationship with God, it cannot be better. What? You just... You're in Christ. You think he has, with Jesus, God the Son and God the Father have good days and bad days? Like there are some days where it's, we're really tight today, says God the Father, and then other days the Son says, I got out of bed awkward this morning. It ain't working so well for me today. We're not in such a good place. No! There is no improving upon that relationship. And if this gospel is true, which I believe it is, your life is hidden in Christ. You can't improve on it. So what can you improve? Your enjoyment of it. And your communion with God way more. So can you improve your relationship with God? Yes and no. You know what I mean by that, right? You just got to understand it more and step into enjoying it far more. See, we can enjoy the relationship or we can neglect it. We can pursue God or we can avoid him. We can find joy in God or we can look for joy in the empty treasures of this world. Our actions make a difference. Not to the union. We are secure We don't create the relationship. We can't break it. It doesn't get any better than being in Christ. It's not you're in Christ when you do this, this, and this. No, no, you're in Christ. It doesn't get better than that. We occupy the same place as Jesus does in the heart of God. If you're a Christian here today, right now, right now, you're in the heart of God because of the absolute worthiness of Jesus who is the head of the body and we're part of the body. Joined to his body, his victory is now our victory. The same high privilege of being in the presence of God is now ours too. We can't improve the relationship but we can improve our enjoyment of it. So how do we do that? Well, it's really tempting to go now, read your Bible, turn up to church every week, be part of a small group every week. You've got to do a load of stuff, guys. You've got to serve. Actually, increase your enjoyment if you give some more as well. Like, it's really tempting to go there and do those things. And it's not that any of those things are not important. They really are. Like, there is some consistent themes throughout Scripture as we look. Throughout being, being part of the people of God, we see there is a mark on being the people of God. is that they were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to what God said. And they were devoted to doing the things that he said in the way he said them. And so, as we, as the people of God, need to be those who are devoted to what God said. There's another thing that we see a mark, a common thread, is they were devoted to one another. They met big in temple, big, and they also met small in homes. Why? Because what they were trying to do all the time is remind themselves of who God is, who they are as a result, and how now to live. So if you never gather with the big thing and never get stirred in the corporate worship, you never gather with the small thing and face being the man in the mirror and go, listen, this is who we are now, you're going to be deficient. Now, do I do all, do I come to church and be part of a small group and serve and all those kind of things? With delight all the time. Truthfully, no. Sometimes it's more out of discipline than delight. 
But I'm doing it because I know that this is good for me and is going to help me move from this place of discipline and sometimes drudgery, frankly, to a place of delight. Why? Because I'm reminded again and again and again of who I am in Christ. So if you ain't feeling it right now, here's the thing. Pursue the Lord. Pursue the Lord. How do you do that? Well, there's no formula, but it starts with desire. It starts with desire. There are certain components. Pray. If you're not, if you're not prayed recently, you're going to struggle. Read the word. If you've not done it recently, you're going to struggle. Praise Jesus for who he is. If you've not done it recently, you're going to struggle. Learn to listen to his voice. If you can't hear him speak, it's going to be difficult to remind you of the truth. How do you hear him speak? Through the word of God. Through the spirit of God. Slow down. Spend time there. There's no formula, just do this, this, and this, and it'll be there. But it does start with desire. Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you seek with all your heart. Not just an occasional Sunday. Rock up, sing the good song, and speak to me, Lord. Don't like that song. We'll wait till next week. All my heart. Being with Jesus starts with desire. We've got to remind ourselves Jesus really wants to meet with us. You know that famous Alpha verse, Revelation 3.20, that we use for non-Christians? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, come in and be with him and eat with him and he with me. We say that to non-Christians all the time. Jesus is not going to force his way in. He's knocking on the door. He wants you. That verse is written to Christians. I mean, it's applicable to non-Christians, but it's written to you and me. I'm here knocking. Don't forget, he longs to know. You're hidden in him. You're hidden in him. The relationship, the eternal one with Father, Son, Spirit, this, wow, you're involved in that. He desires that you come into his presence. And you come as a child with your past dealt with, your present being dealt with, and your future all sorted too. Don't come with a list of all the stuff we've done wrong. Come as a child. Come as a child. And then we don't meet Jesus in routine, but routine will help. Like we just call it ABCs at New Community because it's just easy. Attend. Just be part of it. Just come. Every week. Bible. Read it. And do it. Community. Join others in it. You can't do this thing by yourself. And then serve. Serve other people. But it starts, the foundation for all that is understanding. If you guys come back. Understanding our communion is based upon our union with the Lord. I feel this morning that I felt on uh, one of the nights of the prayer night, I felt really wanting to just increase our joy. And I just felt this morning that that was it. God, want, that's all he wants to do. Increase our joy. Grow up. That's what he wants us to say. Grow up. So he wants us to do. Grow up. But in a biblical way. Not in a, come on. Stop being childish. No, be more childlike. Like we leave behind childish ways, but we don't stop being childlike. What's a mark of a child? Freedom and joy. How do you know if a kid's happy? Because they're running around without a care in the world. Do we have cares in the world in this place? Of course we do. Tomorrow morning is tough for some of us. 
This afternoon is tough for many of us. Do you know what the antidote to that is? Joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord, the primary blessing. The secondary ones might get all sorted for you. They might not, I don't know. But honestly, is there a promise that every single hardship and trial and difficulty that you face in this life is going to be overcome? I don't honestly believe there is. But with a great big eternal perspective, yes, there absolutely is. And what have you entered into right now? Eternal living with the Father. So if God says to you right now, I'll take away all of that, but you're not having me anymore, what are you going to say? That's the question for us. That's the question for us. And like Moses, I ain't going nowhere without your presence, Lord. I don't care what all those secondary things are. This is more important because it's in this where the fullness of the Lord is, where joy comes, where peace comes, where hope comes, where security comes. This is what we've been invited into. Lift your heads, folks. Lift your heads, folks. Lift your heads, folks, because the Spirit of the Lord is here and he wants to come and minister to your heart right here, right now, and increase your joy that's not based on anything secondary but the primary thing.